Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Je m'appelle David. And I'm Josh Matheson. That was really creepy. That gave me flashbacks of a... I did a musical at the new Wimbledon Studio Theatre, which was literally... It's like an educational musical for kids. Um, it paid really, really, really well. But it was literally like songs like Je m'appelle, je m'appelle, je m'appelle Pino. It was literally that's like amazing. learning songs. So my job for six weeks was singing French learning songs. So that's what it reminded me of. Can you just teach us a new French learning song every year? Um, I don't know if this is like legal. Anyway, they'll never <laughs> listen to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. So there was a song called um, Cha Cha Cha, Excusez-moi, Ooh. which went... Cha 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 cha. Excusez-moi, excusez-moi. Cha 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 cha. Excusez-moi. Dans les restaurants wow. et dans les gares. Dans les gares, dans les gares. <laughs> Au centre ville sur les boulevards, sur les boulevards, sur les boulevards. And then it went. Wow. <laughs> and did you come out knowing more French, or was it no a I waste mean, of time? <laughs> No, because all the French was like easy. Although I yeah. worked like there was lots of French people in it, so like my pronunciation got very yeah. good because okay. they were li- like the smallest little thing. So it was really useful. Yeah. Mm. So this week we are looking at chapter two of Animal Farm. Last yeah. week we were given the dream of Old Major, the prize boar, and his vision for the future and the future of the animals on the farm. We started to get an inkling of the class structure that maybe might rear its ugly head on the other side of this revolution with the dogs and the pigs going first and the pony and the cat being the the pampered middle classes and then everybody else following. So we've kind of he's laid the groundwork for right. This is the tyrannical regime under capitalism. And there's this new future where animals can live equally and run the farm themselves and they don't need man anymore because man is unproductive and man I don't need no man produce- <laughs> I had the strong independent piggy that should have been the chapter title that should have been the chapter title <laughs> I don't need no man yeah he missed the card there so chapter two not really sure where this goes I'm assuming that this is where the revolution starts to kick off and maybe farmer Jones finds himself out on the street but all the animals are going to be like behind hay bales. I'm going to imagine yeah. what the name is. They're going to make oh, a yes. And Waving like a... some big, I don't know, what yeah. kind of flag would they have? Like a, a lion egg brand flag or something like, like <laughs> made in England, British just produce. Just like a, a, or... a potato sack or something. <laughs> and like there's just like strobe The skin of the last rat to be caught by oh, the mouse. Oh, oh, God. Wing wo- waved around. Yeah. <clears throat> You're next. <laughs> Let's just drive, dive straight in because we don't even have any chapter titles, do we? It's just chapter two. No, it's just chapter two. So let's drive straight in. Yeah, I don't know why I said drive. I meant dive. No, I, I sort of took it and I ran with it. And that's going to be my motivation. For, <laughs> I, I drove with it. I changed gear with it. And now I'm going to stick with that metaphor long after it became amusing. I'm going to gear stick <clears throat> with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. David's just shaking his head like amateur. I know, as if I'm not, <laughs> as if I'm like the voice of person people for like. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna clutch it for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> You're clutching at straws here, great. <laughs> Uh, and then after we've we've really exhausted it, we can just boot it out of the window. These jokes are tired. 
Oh, <laughs> he's back. He's onside. He's got him back. Go for it. Chapter two. Three nights later, Old Major died peacefully in his sleep. His body was buried at the foot of the orchard. This was in early March. During the next three months, there was much secret activity. Major's speech had given to the more intelligent animals on the farm a completely new outlook on life. They did not know when the rebellion predicted by Major would take place. They had no reason for thinking that it would be within their own lifetime, but they saw clearly that it was their duty to prepare for it. The work of teaching and organising the others fell naturally upon the pigs, who were generally recognised as being the cleverest of the animals. Preeminent among the pigs were two young boars named Snowball and Napoleon, whom Mr Jones was breeding up for sale. Napoleon was a large, rather fierce-looking Berkshire boar, the only Berkshire on the farm, not much of a talker, but with a reputation for getting his own way. Snowball was a more vivacious pig than Napoleon, quicker in speech and more inventive, but was not considered to have the same depth of character. All the other male pigs on the farm were porkers. The <laughs> best known... Am- <laughs> they're all a bit chubby. <laughs> The best known among them was a small fat pig named Squealer, with very round cheeks, twinkling eyes, nimble movements, and a shrill voice. Remember that, lads? Oh yes, I will. (laughs) He was a brilliant talker, and when he was arguing some difficult point, he had a way of skipping from side to side and whisking his tail, which was somehow very persuasive. The others said of Squealer that he could turn black into white. These three had elaborated Old Major's teachings into a complete system of thought, to which they gave the name of animalism. Several nights a week, after Mr Jones was asleep, they held secret meetings in the barn and expounded the principles of animalism to the others. At the beginning, they met with much stupidity and apathy. Some of the animals talked of the duty of loyalty to Mr Jones, whom they referred to as Master or made elementary remarks such as, Mr Jones feeds us, if he were gone, we should starve to death. Others asked such questions as, why should we care what happens after we're dead? Or, if if this rebellion is to happen anyway, what difference does it make whether we work for it or not? And the pigs had great difficulty in making them see that this was contrary to the spirit of animalism. So that's actually quite an interesting point, because that is what I would argue is where the Russian Bolshevik revolution went wrong. Because Marx in his work talks about how capitalism will end and then communism will begin. But that's a natural process. Capitalism comes crashing down all by itself and then out of the ashes of that communism rises. And so Marx, I would say, would actually agree with that last point, basically saying, well, if it's inevitable, then why do we need to work for it and why do we need to make it happen? Mm. But what happened with in Russia was is that these intellectual elites seized on this idea and were like, no, we're going to make it happen within our lifetime. But then capitalism hadn't 
fulfilled its full cycle, you know, hadn't gotten to the end of its kind of death throes yet before they implemented the system. And so you could kind of argue that it was premature and almost argue as well that that's almost why it went wrong or could be seen as to why it went wrong because it was driven by elites who invariably just replaced the elites that they overthrew, if that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So it's meant to be a revolution from below where it, it basically comes from the working class and the proletariat throwing off their chains. But the Bolshevik revolution was a revolution from above where intellectual elites seized on these ideas in order to overturn the system for their favour. The very stupidest questions of all were asked by Molly, the white mare. The very first question she asked Snowball was, at this point, should we give Molly a voice? Probably something like, is there any sugar or something, isn't it? Can we make her like a Marilyn Monroe kind of like... Tell yeah. me about it. Kind of that soft, kind of soft, very breathy, airy American. I think a lot of breath. Mm. Audrey Hepburn, Marilyn Monroe, kind of like, yeah. I got you. I got you. Golden age of Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> the very first question she asked Snowball was, "Will there still be sugar after the rebellion?" <laughs> <laughs> you guessed right. That's exactly what she asked. <laughs> I did enjoy the little hair playing with your hair there, yeah. Josh, as well, while you're doing well, it. What, what, what I did, listeners, is I pretended that the cord of my headphones was a curly a of hair, <laughs> yeah. and I played with it. Um, and then Snowball uh, responds. So I was thinking, like, whenever you think revolution, I always think France, and I know this is set in Russia, but... It's set, it's set on a farm. Yeah. Could we have a French piggy? So you want me to make him a French French pig? Well, we've oh, not had a French still. voice, I think, since the French mouse. But I think if you can kind of give him a little bit of... <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, in a... Uh, kind of, yeah, but, I'm enjoying that. <laughs> kind of That's... add a bit of a snort in there and make him oh, a French a snort, pig. snorty French Yes. Okay. Great. <laughs> no. <laughs> said Snowball firmly. And that's all he said. That's yeah, that. exactly. No. <laughs> and then he, he trotted <laughs> off. And that was the last we saw of him. <laughs> We have no means of making sugar on this farm. <laughs> Besides, you do not need sugar. You will have all the oats and the hay you want. <laughs> and shall I still be allowed to wear ribbons in my mane? <laughs> Asked Molly. <laughs> Comrade, <laughs> said Snowball, those ribbons that you are so devoted to are a badge of slavery. <laughs> Can you not understand that liberty is worth more than ribbons? <sniffs> Molly agreed, but she did not sound very convinced. This is the whole thing as well, isn't it? Of like trophies and excess being something that's a trope of capitalism rather than communism. Communism is bare essentials and only what's needed. Freedom is its own yeah, reward. So you can't yeah. have anything, you luxury. No. Mm. The pigs had an even harder struggle to counteract the lies put about by Moses, the tame raven. Moses, who was Mr. Jones' especial pet, was a spy and a tale-bearer, but he was also a very clever talker. He claimed to know the existence of a mysterious country called Sugar Candy Mountain, to which all animals <laughs> went when they died. Yeah, you Charlie! A candy Mountain, yeah, Charlie! <laughs> He's just a community liar. Like every, yeah. got, every, everyone has a compulsive liar in their friend. Well, that says like he's like the interesting. You call him a liar 
what he represents is the Russian Orthodox Church. Mm. So Candy Mountain is heaven. Oh. Candy <laughs> oh. Ouch. <laughs> it was situated somewhere up in the sky, a little distance beyond the clouds. Oh, right. Moses said, in Sugar Candy Mountain, it was Sunday, seven days a week. Clover was in season all the year round, and lump sugar and linseed cake grew on the hedges. The animals hated Moses because he told tales and did no work, but some of them believed in Sugar Candy Mountain, and the pigs had to argue very hard to persuade them that there was no such place. Their most faithful disciples were the two cart horses, Boxer and Clover. These two had great difficulty in thinking anything out for themselves, but having once accepted the pigs as their teachers, they absorbed everything that they were told and passed it on to the other animals by simple arguments. They were unfailing in their attendance at the secret meetings in the barn and led the singing of Beasts of England, with which the meetings always ended. Now, as it turned out, the rebellion was achieved much earlier and more easily than anyone had expected. In past years, Mr Jones, although a hard master, had been a capable farmer, but of late he had fallen on evil days. He had become much disheartened after losing money in a lawsuit and had taken to drinking more than was good for him. For whole days at a time, he would lounge in his Windsor chair in the kitchen reading the newspapers, drinking, and occasionally feeding Moses on crusts of bread soaked in beer. His men were idle and dishonest. The fields were full of weeds. The buildings wanted roofing. The hedges were neglected, and the animals were underfed. June came, and the hay was almost ready for cutting. On Midsummer's Eve, which was a Saturday, Mr Jones went into Willingdon, and got so drunk at the Red Lion that he did not come back till midday on Sunday. The men had milked the cows in the early morning and then had gone out rabbiting, without bothering to feed the animals. When Mr Jones got back, he immediately went to sleep on the drawing-room sofa, with the news of the world over his face, so that when evening came, the animals were still unfed. The news of the world! Like the, the actual newspaper, the like... That it sounds no like it, yeah. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't News of the World done for the phone tapping or something, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Was it? Yeah. One of the cows broke in the door of the store shed with her horn, and all the animals began to help themselves from the bins. It was just then that Mr. Jones woke up. The next moment, he and his four men were in the store shed with whips in their hands, lashing out in all directions. This was more than the hungry animals could bear. With one accord, though nothing of the kind had been planned beforehand, they flung themselves upon their tormentors. Jones and his men suddenly found themselves being butted and kicked from all sides. The situation was quite out of their control. They had never seen animals behave like this before, and this sudden uprising of creatures, whom they were used to thrashing and maltreating just as they chose, frightened them almost out of their wits. After only a moment or two, they gave up trying to defend themselves and took to their heels. A minute later, all five of them were in full flight down the cart track that led to the main road, with the animals pursuing them in triumph. Mrs Jones looked out of the bedroom window, saw what was happening, hurriedly flung a few possessions into a carpet bag 
and slipped out of the farm by another way. Could you imagine, like, people being chased out by a load of farm animals? (laughs) Just like, the animals have gone mad! Like just shaking their fists, going like, yeah. All the animals have got pitchforks and, like, torches. and (laughs) I I can imagine Mrs. Mrs. Jones didn't look out the window and go like, what the actual... She just looked out (laughs) going... I knew this better, day would better come. Better pack a bag. Yeah. She's like, finally, I can get rid of it. I like the idea him. that the bag was already packed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking the case of Calvary today. I've got my passport. I've got some money. i got a toothbrush. Uh, and i got a burner phone. <laughs> Moses sprang off his perch and flapped after her, croaking loudly. Meanwhile, the animals had chased Jones and his men out onto the road and slammed the five-bar gate behind them. And so, almost before they knew what was happening, the rebellion had been successfully carried through. Jones was expelled, and the manor farm was theirs. For the first few minutes, the animals could hardly believe in their good fortune. Their first act was to gallop in a body right around the boundaries of the farm, as though to make quite sure that no human being was hiding anywhere upon it. I'd like to think they do it going, Yeah, come on! This is good farm now. You can do hard enough. You want some of this? You want some like that? that Beat, beating their beating their chests. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they probably actually did what all animals do in a territory and just peed on everything as they walked around here. <laughs> Don't forget that picket. Mine, mine, mine. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is mine. And uh, this is mine. And uh, this is mine. <laughs> then they raced back to the farm buildings to wipe out the last traces of Jones' hatred reign. The harness room at the end of the stables was broken open. The bits, the nose rings, the dog chains, the cruel knives with which Mr Jones had been used to castrate the pigs and lambs were all flung down the well. The reins, the halters, the blinkers, the degrading nose bags were thrown on the rubbish fire, which was burning in the yard. So were the whips. All the animals capered with joy when they saw the whips going up in flames. Snowball also threw on the fire the ribbons with which the horses' manes and tails had usually been decorated on market days. Ribbons, he said, should be considered as clothes, which are the mark of a human being. All animals should go naked. (laughs) When Boxer heard this, he fetched the small straw hat which he wore in summer to keep the flies out of his ears and flung it on the fire with the rest. Aww. Poor little Boxer. Like, oh, no, oh, I love Boxer. Right. He's just such a nice, gentle a little giant. Hat. Yeah. yeah. It's like it then. serves a medical reason, like, yeah. to wear it. No, it's a prescription hat. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that to be a thing. In a very little while, the animals had destroyed everything that reminded them of Mr Jones. Napoleon then led them back to the store shed, and carved out a double ration of corn to everybody, with two biscuits for each dog. Then they sang Beasts of England from end to end seven times running, and after that they settled down for the night and slept as they had never slept before. But they woke at dawn as usual, and suddenly remembering the glorious thing that had happened, they all raced out into the pasture together. A little way down the pasture there was a knoll that commanded a view of most of the farm. The animals rushed to the top of it and gazed round them in the clear morning light. Yes, 
it was theirs. Everything that they could see was theirs. In the ecstasy of that thought, they gambled around and around. They hurtled themselves into the air in great leaps of excitement. They rolled in the dew. They cropped mouthfuls of the sweet summer grass. They kicked up clods of the black earth and snuffed its rich scent. Then they made a tour of inspection of the whole farm and surveyed with speechless admiration the ploughland, the hayfield, the orchard, the pool, the spinney. It was as though they had never seen these things before, and even now they could hardly believe that it was all their own. Then they filed back to the farm buildings and halted in silence outside the door of the farmhouse. That was theirs too, but they were frightened to go inside. After a moment, however, Snowball and Napoleon butted the door open with their shoulders, and the animals entered in single file, walking with the utmost care for fear of disturbing anything. They tiptoed from room to room, afraid to speak above a whisper, and gazing with a kind of awe at the unbelievable luxury, at the beds with their feather mattresses, the looking-glasses, the horsehair sofa, the Brussels carpet, the lithograph of Queen Victoria over the drawing-room mantelpiece. They were just coming down the stairs when Molly was discovered to be missing. Going back, the others found that she had remained behind. She's in the sugar bowl. That's <laughs> <laughs> just going to be like just disgraced. Absolutely covered she's got with top this, like, A head just stuck in it. Like Two. she's backing away, trying yeah. to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Going back, the others found that she had remained behind in the best bedroom. She had taken a piece of blue ribbon from Mrs. Jones' dressing table and was holding it against her shoulder and admiring herself in the glass in a very foolish manner. The others reproached her sharply, and they went outside. Some hams hanging in the kitchen were taken out for burial, and the barrel of beer in the scullery was stove in with a kick from Boxer's hoof. Otherwise, nothing in the house was touched. A unanimous resolution was passed on the spot that the farmhouse should be preserved as a museum. All were agreed that no animal must ever live there. The animals had their breakfast, and then Snowball and Napoleon called them together again. Comrades, <coughs> said Snowball, it is half past six and we have a long day before us. Today we begin the hay harvest. <coughs> but there is another matter that must be attended to first. <coughs> the pigs now revealed that during the past three months, they had taught themselves to read and write from an old spelling book which had belonged to Mr. Jones' children and which had been thrown on the rubbish heap. Napoleon sent for pots of black and white paint and led the way down to the five-barred gate that gave on to the main road. They're already doing human stuff Mm. because surely they would find their own way of communicating. On the sneaky as well. Yeah, because yeah, we that, sneakily learned what, to read. What they are admitting is that the human way of communicating and being able to write it down using pen or ink letters or yeah. whatever is better than they could do themselves. So mm. they're already hypocrites. Well, they're Pigocrit. also obviously trying to ups, 
upskill because there's a human vacancy right now in the farm because in obviously in order to make money and trade they're gonna have to send letters and know quantities and mark paperwork and all the rest of it so tax return they've obviously done it to kind of fill the fill the void that mr jones has left then snowball for it was snowball who was best at writing took a brush between the two knuckles of his trotter painted out manor farm from the top bar of the gate and in its place painted animal farm a bit on the nose really isn't it (laughs) They said the title. It's it's when they do it in films. It's like they always take the book out of that and everything. It's like they said the title of the film. Oh! They did the title. Oh, so that's why it's called X and Y. Yeah, <laughs> this is a fairly demonstrative title from the word go. I, I don't think anybody could describe what they thought was going to happen in terms of the farm in any way. Yeah, this was to be the name of the farm from now onwards. After this, they went back to the farm buildings, where Snowball and Napoleon sent for a ladder, which they caused to be set against the end wall of the big barn. They explained that by their studies of the past three months, the pigs had succeeded in reducing the principles of animalism to seven commandments. These seven commandments should now be inscribed on the wall. They would form an unalterable law, by which all the animals on Animal Farm must live forever after. With some difficulty, for it is not easy for a pig to balance himself on a ladder, Snowball climbed up and set to work, with Squealer a few rungs below him, holding the paint pot. The commandments were written on the tarred wall in great white letters that could be read thirty yards away. They ran thus. The Seven Commandments 1. Whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. 2. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. 3. No animal shall wear clothes. 4. No animal shall sleep in a bed. 5. No animal shall drink alcohol. 6. No animal shall kill any other animal. 7. All animals are equal. It was very neatly written, except that friend was written friend. (laughs) Wait, that's hard to say out loud, isn't it? How's that spelled? See if you can guess from the way I say it. Friend was written friend. Friend. With (laughs) F-R-A-Y... Friend. No, I don't know. Is it Southern no, drawl? Yes. Oh, no, the, <laughs> yeah. It's quite hard to do that. All they've done is got the I and the E the wrong way around. Oh, I can't okay. really say that out loud. Friend. So there you go. Friend. Friend. He's my friend. Friend was written friend. <laughs> and one of the S's was the wrong way around. The spelling was correct all of the way through. Snowball read it aloud for the benefit of the others. All the animals nodded in complete agreement, and the cleverer ones at once began to learn the commandments by heart. Now, comrades, cried Snowball, throwing down the paintbrush. To the airfield, let us make a point of honour to get in the harvest more quickly than Jones and his men could do. But at this moment, the three cows who had seemed uneasy for some time past, set up a loud lowing. 
They had not been milked for 24 hours, and their udders were almost bursting. After a little thought, the pigs sent for buckets and milked the cows fairly successfully, their trotters being well adapted to this task. Soon there were five buckets of frothing creamy milk at which many of the animals looked with considerable interest. And then someone speaks. I don't know if this is what someone sounds Big like. Big southern drawl because we, we were doing it earlier. <laughs> so I mean, just we're said it. In there. As long as he doesn't say who it is and we don't waste the accent. Fine. Yeah. But yeah, just do it for that one. What is going to happen to all that milk? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> said someone. And then one of the hens replies. Or not, says something else. Can we make it... Um, you remember the lady in, in Chicken Run who always knits? Yes, I love her. Yeah, Can we great. do it in that voice? Where is that, you know, my whole life flashed before my eyes. Oh, it's it's Jane Horrocks. Jane yeah. Horrocks. It's Jane Horrocks. It were really yeah. boring. <laughs> that okay. her. I, I <laughs> love from, her. Uh, West Yorkshire, Leeds. No, I think she's Black Blackburn. Oh, is it? Or Burnley or something like that. Well, you know what voice I'm talking about. Don't though. wear around the penines. I really hope this hen gets a lot to say because I love Jane <laughs> Horrocks. If Jane Horrocks, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> this is going to be the Sarah McMillan voice for of yeah, okay. this season. Yeah. If Jane Horrocks needs to find out what's going to be happening to her in the week, does she read a horoscope? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Probably. I would guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John's used sometimes to mix some of it in our mash. <laughs> it's really Except nice. One of the hens. Salt of the earth voice, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's really great. lovely. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. And then Napoleon says something. Napoleon, Napoleon hasn't spoken Ooh, yet, has he? Okay, so Napoleon is quite a key character to this. He sticks around pretty much for the whole thing. And Can we make him a Bond villain of some description? Like Russian, well, I was a Russian Bond this. villain. Yes, I was going to say Ooh. I think he has to be Russian. because. Napoleon represents Stalin and Stalinism. So I think, well, and also to an extent, Napoleon Bonaparte, who was obviously a conqueror and someone who was obsessed with being in charge. So he needs that evil villain thing. So can we make him, yeah, an evil Bond villain? He's got Russian, a cat. I think it would be great. There's yeah, not, not in the book. <laughs> yes. Not to say, not to say that all Russians are evil. Just, no, just, no, just dispel that myth. No, but I think James we Bond. can all agree that Stalin was. <laughs> but hang on, hang on. Stalin probably in the evil. Camp, I think yeah. there are just as many English villains in Hollywood and fiction than there are Russians. Very true. And yeah, I'm not true. offended by that. So no. No, that, just putting yeah. it out there. Mm-hmm. Well, we had that discussion <laughs> before about the Kelsey Grammer sideshow Bob voice and yeah. how that's like the mm. maniacal genius is always British. That was lovely. That? That's from, um, that's the Bob, uh, I was about to say Bob Marley, Bob. sideshow Bob. Bob. <laughs> Every time sideshow Bob appears, that's the little, um, I mean, Austin oh, they both thing. do little have, sting. um, they both have dreadlocks, so I mean, I could understand the confusion. <laughs> There's maybe some space for a reggae character, I think, in this. <laughs> yes. Never mind the milk, comrades," said Napoleon, placing himself in front of the buckets. "That will be attended to. The harvest is more important. Comrade Snowball will lead the way, and I shall follow in a few minutes." Forward, comrades, the hay is waiting. So the animals trooped down to the hayfield to begin the harvest, and when they came back in the evening, it was noticed that the milk had disappeared. Mm. 
End of chapter. Mm. I mean, Napoleon stole it, didn't he? You know, that. that's, that's quite him. apparent. Yeah, I, I think know. it's quite apparent that he did. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to watch him. He's a a naughty one. A that so Napoleon. and so, as they yeah. say in France. A so and so. <laughs> well, I'm not allowed to swear, am I? So <laughs> very clever. I thought that was a pig. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean no. It was, I, mean, <laughs> I was. That's sal- where I was at. Sow and sow. That's why I was laughing. Yeah. Sow and sow. Sow and sow. I thought. I thought, sour, sour, sour. <laughs> I thought that's what you were referencing. <sighs> no. Never mind. Off I trot. So funny. I think there'll be a passing duck who just like likes to comment on the action. He's like, "Oh, he's all right, sow and sow." I love that he's Alan Carr or like <laughs> a wise cracking mallard called Alan. Yes. I think so. Big glasses. Also, if I could put in a request, I think Jane Horrocks should come back in the form of all hens. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, I think she just, can represent just, all hens. Henceforth. I think she does. In many <laughs> ways, sure. she does already. <laughs> so for this book, we are looking at lit charts. Lit charts! So the differences between how the pigs begin to think about the revolution and how the other animals think about the revolution again starts to show how class will develop on the farm. The pigs are already becoming part of an intellectual class concerned with abstract ideas and education, while the concerns of the masses, or in this case the lower classes, are mostly concerned with making it through the day and don't have the energy to consider the possibility that things will ever get better. So straight from the off, you can see that this revolution is being pushed and kind of geared towards these intellectuals going, well, we're going to try and form the future in what we think is ideal, rather than the practical realities of just people going, how do I get food on my table? How do I make sure that my kids have clothes on their back? So he kind of automatically shows where these two differences are between the people who drive this rebellion but also how it was very easy for those elites to hijack it when people are concerned with the mundane. So this is quite interesting. Uh, One of the most important things to note here is that the rebellion happens when the animals use their physical strength as one to overthrow their leader, something that unfortunately for those in the lower classes, the animals will go on to forget. This event as a whole is parallel to the Bolshevik Revolution in which the Red Army, as well as the Tsar Nicholas's own guards, turned on him and ousted him quickly. As in the novel, the revolution grew out of dissatisfaction for the way that Tsar Nicholas was running the country. So it's remembering that you know this this rebellion happened due to the strength of the people and the strength of them to like rise up. But then it's amazing how quickly once this new regime um, integrates itself and establishes itself that they then forget that they were the driving force and they were the power force behind getting it set up in the first place. I think the most important thing about this chapter, though, is probably the seven commandments because it something that will come back later on in the book as well. And Lichard just says this, the seven commandments encapsulate the idealistic nature of the rebellion, as in theory, at least, they set out the groundwork for the animals to celebrate themselves. Vilifying everything that makes humans human, however, leaves little room for the animals to advance, given that the novel has already laid out the expectation that as individuals become more powerful, as through literacy for one, they effectively become more human, and so that's exactly what we were just kind of saying like 
the rules mean that animals have to stay exactly as they are and where they are like, in terms they of their development. Efficient at like the farm, because obviously what they're going to want to do is you know yield the earth and grow the plants, and this is the ideology, mm. and have it for themselves and share it equally. But at some point they're going to be like, right, we want to make the process a bit, little bit more efficient. Yeah, but that's then more humanized. Yeah. It's also the fact that you know a farm won't be able to create everything that they need. They will need to trade. And therefore, in order to trade, you need money. And old majors thing was you're not allowed money. So again, actually, in order to advance and in order to develop, you're having to absorb a humanistic trait. Or in what communism would be a capitalistic trait. And so it's like it it leaves you very, very little room for growth and development like it, personally, societally, like community wise, like it definitely keeps you locked in a bubble. That's why I would never say that I was a communist or a socialist and definitely say I'm a responsible capitalist because I could never quite get my head around what Marx was proposing post-revolution in terms of what society would look like and how it would function. like. Money is just simply too convenient. The ability to trade and go to a shop and stuff for one thing or like for for many things at one shop is just too convenient. Capitalism is just too convenient. But that's not to say that the moral downsides to it shouldn't be addressed. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, you have to take you take you take little bits of it. You take the best aspects of each of the ideologies. Yes, exactly. Boxer, for instance, can do a lot more manual labor than Napoleon can. Yeah. But Napoleon can write and read and do the tax. But Napoleon has decided because he's smarter that he deserves more than Boxer. And that's where the issue is. Yeah. Exceptionalism. Um, The fact that he believes that his particular skill set is more deserving of reward than Boxer's, even though both of them are as essential to the workings of the farm. Yeah. That's where the problem is. They ranked their virtues. Mm, it's the white collar versus the blue collar. If you have any thoughts or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Uh, or if you want to drop any sort of ideas or thoughts about what you've heard in our episodes, we've got a Twitter account and our handle is at lazybookclubpod. And if you want to send us a message to know how you would pronounce Frangens, <laughs> you could do that on Instagram if you wanted, at Lazy Book Club Pod. Or you could even do it uh, and send us a voice note via Anchor, which is quite yes, exciting. You could do that if you wanted. That'd be fun. We could even then feature you in the episode. How about that? Damn, saying Frangens. Frangens. <laughs> or I could put you in one of my mixes. Oh Ooh. yes, the Animal Farm song that's due to come. At yeah, some I, point. Think, I think I think it will be ready for next week's episode. So I'll, okay, cool. I'll make sure it's all good. I'm expecting something like that sounds revolutionary, kind of like it needs to rile me, like rally, maybe rally maybe drums. I need some like Ugh. war drums of England, war drums underneath, war drum yeah. marchy. Yeah, I mean yes. it will probably end up me just being exactly like the We Are the Ghosts one. <laughs> it's gonna be you marching in place with a mic at your feet, isn't it? Trying to like double up the I get like one of those whistles. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us in 2021 for our next book. If you are enjoying the series and do please like, do please share, and do please rate five stars, five stars. Please join us next week for chapter three. From next month, you will be able to subscribe for a Patreon. Money, money, oh, money. Oh, yeah. 
We're launching this for the Ooh. first time ever. We'll put the website in the blurb and basically if you subscribe on as a supporter you will get an extra short story episode a month as well just as a little thank you for supporting us through this pandemic i think i think we'll probably (laughs) work out some other stuff we'll put on there as well but we're we will we're launching right now with just an extra episode a month but we will definitely add more things as we go before you know it you'll have the mug you'll have the t-shirt you'll have the badge You'll have a completely redundant mouse mat. Matt's gonna Matt's gonna knit like when we have a hundred thousand patrons, he's gonna knit some sort of like hat for everyone. Yeah. Everyone gets their own Napoleon. (laughs) No, yes, it can be pigs. Or we'll just send you a pack of bacon. (laughs) Or a packet of bacon. (laughs) With Napoleon written across it. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.